I'm going to do this. I'm going to run for the United States Senate. The time is now for fresh ideas and new leadership. I'm running for student council because of you and for you. That is why I stand before you today to announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Welcome to the Arena Talks podcast, where I interview emerging political leaders from across the country. My name is Ravi Gupta, managing partner of Arena, and today's a special episode. Today I'm interviewing Stacey Shells, who's a great friend of mine and a great friend of the Arena community. And she's going to talk about this historic and trying time that we find ourselves in and help us understand just a little bit about the kind of obstacles she faces and her students that she educates on a daily basis face. But before I do that, I want to address our community as a whole. I, like many of you, have been incensed by the seemingly never-ending series of murders of black people in this country. Folks like George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor. Uh, And there are just many, many folks who we haven't committed their names to memory yet. And also folks who are still with us who face historic oppression. Folks like Curtis Flowers, who's been tried six times in the state of Mississippi for a murder that he did not commit. Uh, And in a total of six trials uh, for Curtis Flowers, the district attorney has used 41 of 42 peremptory challenges to exclude black jurors. And this U.S. Supreme Court has ruled twice in favor of Curtis Flowers, but the state of Mississippi still hasn't dropped the charges, and Curtis now faces a record seventh case. They still haven't dropped it yet. How do we get here? Well, the, the reasons are numerous, but a few. We have the enslavement and trade of Africans, which is the original sin of this country. We have the taking of black-owned property, lynchings and other terrorism, racial housing covenants, redlining, financial handouts to white veterans that weren't available to black veterans, mass incarceration. This reminds me of a quote recently from Brian Stevenson's where he said something to the effect of, this is why he argues that slavery didn't end in 1865. It's just evolved. And how has it evolved? Well, the experience of black America is wildly different than the experience of the rest of America. Uh, There are only four black CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and none are women. That's 0.8% of CEOs compared to 14% of the U.S. population, which is black. So 0.8 versus 14%. Black people account for only 3.2% of senior leadership roles at large corporations. The median black family with just over $3,500 owns just 2% of the wealth of the nearly 147,000 of the median white family owns. Um, the proportion of black families with zero or negative wealth rose by 8.5% to 37% between 1983 and 2016. In 2016, 72% of white families owned their home compared to just 44% of black families. And as of the last quarter of 2019, The median white worker made 28% more than the typical black worker. The unemployment rate for black job seekers remains nearly twice as high as that for whites. The black imprisonment rate at the end of 2018 was more than five times the rate among whites. Uh, And among those ages 35 to 39, uh, which is my age, I'm 37, about one in 20 black men were in state or federal prison in 2018. Why do I share all these statistics? Because too many people I talk to talk about slavery like it was a long, long time ago. It wasn't a long time ago, but even if you think it was, the effects of it are still with us today and the effects of a lot of terrible policy and immoral acts have happened and just neglect in some cases and lack of ownership of privilege and lack of sacrifice. The effects of all of that are still with us today and we have so much more to do. Uh, And we have to make structural changes to the way that we live and treat each other. Uh, And it's merely not enough to avoid being racist. 
uh, we have to do more to undo past discrimination. So just, just not being racist is not enough. And we know full well that we can't erase our full history, but we can much more aggressively act to provide opportunity and equality today. And this goes well beyond police. Uh, this means that we need to do things that change the structure of our society and who has the power. Um, it means decriminalizing marijuana and some other drugs. It means, means providing a truly excellent public defense system that attracts the best and the brightest and gives them adequate time to devote to each case. It means eliminating elected judges in private prisons, which combine to create historically horrific incentives. Uh, it means to reverse housing discrimination, making it mandatory that affluent neighborhoods build new housing and allot that housing to underrepresent groups. It means bringing the same level of energy and attention to education that we brought to policing, examining why it is that a largely unaccountable and unequal system has failed our communities of color for so long and why many people in our own party keep defending that system. It means undoing the connection between school quality and housing and uh, looking at our neighborhood and school district boundaries and undoing them in many cases and redoing them so that they are no longer used as tools of exclusion. It means treating private schools, which serve mostly white upper income families and serve as private clubs, really, for those families, and strip them of their nonprofit status if they don't allocate at least 25% of their seats for free to underrepresented folks. Uh, so that's something that India requires, actually. So we at Arena are looking for candidates who are going to push for change like that. And we'll continue to do our work of making political campaigns more representative of the country as a whole. What does that mean for us? That means, number one, we are uh, continuing to do our Arena Academy work, and our Arena Academies are five- to six-day trainings that, uh, that train and place uh, the next generation of campaign staff. And to date, we've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in scholarships for underrepresented groups to attend those trainings. And because of that, over 50% of our attendees at Arena Academies are people of color. Uh, over 50% are women. And we're going to continue to offer those opportunities and, and expand them. Uh, and as part of those trainings, we also offer an unconscious bias training so that the folks who come through our work, especially come, folks who come from more privileged backgrounds, understand uh, their role in oppression and understand uh, how they can go about this work of political organizing in a way that's ethical and equitable and that actually empowers underrepresented communities. Uh, it also means that we are going to do more in the criminal justice reform space. For the past few months, uh, we as an organization, and this predates all the protests, we been incubating an organization that is going to have a novel approach to the criminal justice space. I can't say more yet, but we're actually planning to uh, launch this organization in March uh, in partnership with some of our uh, Fiber or Future fellows in New York uh, who are members of the arena community who have been uh, doing nonprofit work and activism in New York City. Uh, we were planning to launch it in March, but because of COVID, we put it on pause. And so we're dusting that playbook off and we're going to announce that in the next few weeks. Uh, this also means that we're going to be looking for leaders around the country who are going to be visionary and and not just talk about some of the structural changes that I, I've talked about uh, just now, but also who are going to have the courage and the energy to stand up to power, not just power in the Republican Party, but people within our own party, party and entrenched interest groups who are standing in the way of that kind of change. Um, so those are some of the things that we're going to do. And uh, I'm hopeful. But I do have a few worries, uh, and I'm going to share some of those worries right now. One of them is uh, I worry that there are folks who are new to social justice who think protesting is going to be enough. I know that's not most of you. So if you're protesting, this is not a dig at you. Uh, this is 
squarely aimed at people who are, you know, we could call them the Burning Man crowd or whatever, who are taking selfies out there and who this may be one of the first times engaging in a space. And so what I ask of you is that you stick with this in the long term and, and really work at something deep and structural. Uh, and I'll quote Brian Stevenson on this. This is what he said. Uh, he said, quote, to be honest, it's not that hard to protest. It's not that hard to go someplace. And it doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean that it's not critical. But that's not the hard thing we need from people who care about these issues. We need people to vote. We need people to engage in policy reform and political reform. And we need people to not tolerate the rhetoric of fear and anger that so many of our elected officials use to sustain power. We need the cultural environments in the workplace to shift. End of quote. So I invoke folks to divide, devote their lives to this. Everyone has a role to play. I've, I've been asking this to myself. What's my role? You know, back in 2010, I moved down south to start a school for kids in North Nashville, which is the zip code in this country that sends more black males to prison per capita than anywhere else. Uh, and I did that work for six years. Uh, and now with ARENA, we're focusing on political reform and electing more ethical, visionary, and representative leaders. And, you know, I'm constantly asking myself, like, how can I do more? You know, I live a relatively privileged life. Uh, and how can I give up more of that privilege in service of change? And so you have to find your own cause. And if you don't know where to fit in, let me know, um, and we'd love to help you. Our job is to elevate leaders. And on that front, uh, I'll share my second concern. My second concern is I worry uh, that we're not doing enough to support the leaders out there. Like, I think any good movement, I'm, I'm a believer in, in leaders. Like, I know there's a, a great debate about having disaggregated and democratized movements that don't have visible leaders because there are uh, there are many flaws in, a, in a, an approach that relies too much on leaders. But I would say that you know my approach and Arena's approach is we believe in leadership. And we think it's important to have a Gandhi or an MLK uh, who can serve as the, the conscious of a movement uh, and also can, be, can serve as uh, an organized force to negotiate with power to get the kind of change that we need. And so uh, one thing I worry about is that we're not doing enough to support uh, those leaders and find those leaders or or just elevate people who are doing the work. And so um, if you are one of those leaders or you know of leaders like that who need our help, please let us know. And I want to make sure that we're doing everything we possibly can to hold those people up. Uh, my third worry, my third worry, uh, and this is, and I want to make sure people don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. This is not the problem. This is just a problem uh, that has arisen recently, which is the, the destruction of small businesses, which is come in large part from people who don't seem to share the same aims as protesters and in some cases seem to be uh, coming completely outside of protests and coming outside of communities. But these folks are using the cover of social justice to do real harm to vulnerable people, including people of color. And this is, once again, this is not the big problem. The big problem is the centuries of oppression that have uh, led to uh, the protests that we've seen over the past few days. But I do believe that we should speak up to ensure folks don't excuse what has been happening to vulnerable people uh, and their livelihoods. Uh, and many, if not most of these victims are people of color. Uh, and I think that small business owners, like people like Sam Ahmad, who owns a jewelry store in the Fordham section of the Bronx, who now has to close indefinitely because bro folks broke into a store and took everything he had. Um, and so I think we gotta think about folks like that and we have to ensure that uh, people are not using the name of social justice to cause harm to the very people that we need to serve. And so I'm with leaders like Richie Torres in the Bronx and Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms in Atlanta who condemn the destruction of local businesses. I mean, let's say any businesses. Let's just not destroy stuff in the name of social justice. And let's 
uh, ensure that we draw a line between uh, the causes of social justice and uh, enterprising individuals who are using the cover of that to do bad things to people that we care about. Uh, and then my final worry, my final worry is COVID. Uh, and, you know, both of my parents are frontline medical professionals. My mom is a nurse who runs a lot of the testing uh, in city hospitals in Staten Island. And uh, my dad is a uh, physician who uh, works for City MD in New York City and, and treats COVID patients uh, and, and tests them. Um, and uh, we all accepted before this wave of protests that social distancing is saving lives and saving all kinds of lives, black lives, white, white lives, brown lives. Uh, and so I see folks close together not wearing masks. I worry about what seven to 14 days looks like from now. And I worry about how our president's going to exploit any tragedy stemming from these protests. So, uh, you know, to folks out there, I just want you to be careful, you know, keep showing up to those protests and do it safely. Uh, because not just your life, livelihood is on the line, like we still have to believe in those principles that, um, that we've been applying over the past few months about, uh, about our duty to those around us to be as safe as possible. Because that also uh, is a social justice issue. Like we need to maintain safety of those around us. And we know that COVID um, disproportionately impacts people of color. And so it's incumbent of all, all of us to do everything we can to limit the spread. Uh, but those are my worries, but I'm largely hopeful. I want to end by saying I'm hopeful here before I introduce uh, my friend. And actually, she's a big reason why I'm hopeful. It's leaders like Stacey Shells, my next guest, who make me hopeful. Stacey has been a member of the arena community since day one. And we met when we were both serving as school principals. And we would share notes on how to do the job well. And we continue to talk once a week. And we have conversations like the one you're about to hear, usually not on a podcast, but we wanted to share a conversation this week given everything that's going on. And she's been an educator for many years, most recently as the CEO of Regeneration Schools, uh, which is a network of schools in Chicago and Cincinnati. And she's one of the most thoughtful people I know. And I can't think of a better person to talk to about recent events around the country. Stacey Shells, welcome to the podcast. Hello. So Stacey, how are you doing? I'm doing. I'm 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 a little numb right now. Um the last time I protested, uh Ravi was during the Bush era. And that was when the, the Republican National Convention was in New York City. And it was, you know, like the whole yellow cake thing, and he ended up being elected again. And I just remember being the the police putting up a brigade, a brigade you know, like a block. And people like 20 blocks down who were protesting didn't know. And there was like a moment that like I couldn't breathe literally because the police were doing this intentionally. And that's back when I drank beer. And I just, as soon as I got out of the crowd, I went to like a, a New York City streets, just like an outdoor place and drank a Heineken. I haven't had a Heineken probably in 10 years. But like I drank a Heineken. And I remember thinking to myself like, never again. Like I don't ever want to be in a crowd like that again. And then you look to see, and, and that was very different than this moment. I just want to say that, you know? Um, and then I think from that moment, I just have dedicated myself to trying to fight systematic racism in whatever way I can. Um, for me, it, 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 it hasn't been like on the front lines outside. You know, I have a five-month-old son. I'm stairs on the 21st floor. I'm watching it on TV, just like a lot of other people. Um, but thinking about what I can I can continue to do to break down those systems of oppression. Because it's one thing to go outside and it's another thing, like what happens tomorrow? Right. 
that's what I wanted to talk to you about in particular is because, you know, you and I talk every Friday morning, not on a podcast, but we talk about life and we talk about, you know, challenges of doing the work. And, you know, you may not be on the front lines of a protest, but you're running schools for black and brown kids every day. And, you know, it's work that I think doesn't get a lot of recognition. What, what do you want to get out of all this? Like, what do you, when you look at people out on the streets and you think about the challenges that you face in your life and that your kids face, what's the best case scenario six months to a year from now coming out of these protests? I mean, six months to a year from now that we, that there's a change in values, that people's values are challenged and changing, that people are strategically working to dismantle the systems of white supremacy that exist to this very day. This is a, this is a white supremacist issue that goes back like a long way, you know? The police brutality is a symptom of that, you know? But it exists in more than just the police. Um, obviously, I want to see these people go to jail, but it's bigger than that. I want to see that they're going to put something in place to change the type of people they're recruiting to be police officers. You know, you have to have a college degree for most positions of power in America, except for that one. You know, just like there's a Teach for America, there needs to be a Police for America, where mission-driven people who are driven towards the mission of changing those structures get positioned. Well, can I ask you about that in particular? You know, I've seen out in the protests a kind of wide range of, of policy solutions, everything from on one side of the spectrum, which is a get rid of all police, defund police, mm -hmm. uh, to other types of solutions. And, and one thing that, that, that you and I have talked about before, but I think, you know, people like James Foreman has written about in this book called Locking Up Their Own is that it's a little bit more complicated, it seems to me. Like, it's not like communities of color are necessarily asking for no police. Right. Uh, it seems to me that they're asking for a better relationship with police. Do I have that wrong? No, I think that it's a better relationship with police, but it's a better relationship with the institution, right? Because every group, every, like, it, it, people make up a group, right? And so if you're not recruiting the right types of people with the right mindsets, like, I don't want to see, I don't want to kneel with police in solidarity. I want them to change the system, the program. I want them to show videotapes and of people being abused when they're in their hiring process to see someone's mentality. You know, I want them to look for people who have committed themselves prior to becoming a police officer with like the mission and the charge of diversity and understanding multiple perspectives as opposed to like I think you I think you have to have a high school diploma right now and not to say that education is the answer to everything but I do think that when people go to college I think that they are kind of forced to be in a group of different types of people and to be in an atmosphere where maybe their mindset might get challenged. And I think that they have to start recruiting for that. Like when I think about how I bring in teachers, I'm not just going to bring in any Joe Schmo to stand in front of my children and teach. I'm actually going to make you teach a sample lesson beforehand. I might have you read. When I joined Teach for America, they gave us very thought-provoking articles then put us in a Socratic seminar group and watched us debate to see people's mentality. Like that's what they need to do 
to find the right people who have the license right to kill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one part of the debate is also, and I think you and I would find this ironic, is that uh, there's there's new attention to the fact that that certain police are unfireable. Like people who've had multiple incidents of heinous uh, acts in their communities and violence are almost unfireable kind of reminds me of another debate that doesn't get a lot of attention. <laughs> I know <laughs> have, you're going did you have the same did, um, did you have the same thought recently? Well, yeah, because they're protected by a union, you know? But there shouldn't be anywhere in the United States of America where you can't be fired. It is that that's just wrong, especially when your charge to protect and serve is so significant. Same thing with teaching, right? Like you shouldn't be able to poorly teach children for 25 years and you're protected just because. You know, there are a lot of things that people can do. And if you're not able to effectively implement, you know, change and academic increases for kids, like maybe you should do something different, you know? And so if you are consistently abusing people of color, why do you still have a job? Like that, that wouldn't work at Google. That wouldn't work at Facebook. That wouldn't work anywhere else. So like, you know, in a democracy, that shouldn't, that shouldn't exist. It is not democratic. Right. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, in my intro to this podcast, which you haven't heard yet, I, I kind of go through what I think are some answers for where we can go from here. And maybe I'll throw some of these at you, which is you know, on the education front, which is, I don't focus on education because I think it's the only thing. I focus on education as you probably do because I think it's the the, the least prioritized in our public life. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. there's just, you know, we, we used to talk about the democratic debates and how all these self-described progressives were getting up and really couldn't, for the first few debates especially, could not even muster a single interesting thing to say about educating kids in this country. And so, you know, I I was talking about things like, taking a look at neighborhood and district school boundaries and undoing them, ensuring that affluent neighborhoods, you know, you're, you're in the middle of buying a house right now and you know how much racism there is built into this process is making sure that affluent neighborhoods offer opportunities for underrepresented folks to, to live there, you know, to undo mm-hmm. some of the redlining and whatnot that's happened. Treating private schools as the kind of private clubs that they are, you know, which are mostly private clubs for our upper income white folks and stripping them of their nonprofit status if they don't serve underrepresented kids. Stuff like that, which are things that go to the heart of privilege, I think, but that are viscerally, aggressively opposed by even liberals. Mm-hmm. Um, what else should we be considering on the school front? And is that even the right start to a list? Like, is there something else here? I, I definitely think it is. On the school front, I think we have to start looking at the coursework. We have to start looking at what is being taught, right? Um, people don't like the common core, but you know, I think we have to think about as Americans, like what is important and making sure that the history of people of color is not just told, but it's told like correctly and including multiple perspectives because what you read is helps, you know, develop what you think about, you know? And I think a very carefully cultivated curriculum with standards that address diversity, I think that's important because, you know, you can go, for instance, like, let's say one of those private schools, and I think it should exist for all schools, right? So let's say my son goes to one of those schools. Maybe he gets to the school, he's just a black kid at the school, and there's nothing there to help 
all the kids, including him, understand the history of America and the importance and the contributions of people from other societies, right? Because in other communities, that's where white supremacy comes in. Like, it's just a mentality, you know? Then he's just going to be like a black kid going through hell at an all-white school. Like, I, you know, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I have a friend who also works with me now and has for about the past 15 years that went to one of the top private schools and he is Latino and the kids made his life hell. They called him a spick. They called him like every name in the book and there was nothing embedded within the structure to even make that useful for him, right? And so I think there's the curriculum. I think it's what we teach kids, all kids. And I think it's who's standing in front of kids. It's the hiring, right? I think that not just in a predominantly black school should there be teachers of color. I think there need to be teachers of color in all schools, you know, um, because that's what's going to change the paradigm. That's what's going to change the culture of the school. That's what's, you know, I have a friend who has kids in another extremely wealthy school and kids made very racist billboards. And then the teachers let kids play a game called like catch the slave. And when parents were upset, this is a, this school year, like, why are you allowing kids to play catch the slave? They went and got another kid from like high school, like the teacher's like, help us understand why catch the slave's a bad idea. Like, oh my God. So I just think that, oh my God, representation. So you mentioned, like, hey, you know, in, in these neighborhoods, like, you know, loans from banks, like, for instance, like the PPP loans, right? Had I not been a part of Charter School Growth Fund and someone not come through and say, hey, we want to help people of color get in front of this, we wouldn't have received that. And so, you know, representation from in terms of loans, representation in terms of banks, like you said, neighborhoods, hiring practices. Um, I think this is a very complex question, sorry. But I think that those are some of the things in schools. I think curriculum matters. I think teachers matter. I think leadership matters, right? Yeah. Like everybody sending out their Black Lives Matter email right now. Show me your board. Show me your executive team. You know what I mean? Like I've got emails like delete, delete, deaf ears, deaf ears. Like I know what your leadership team looks like. Boo is you're an institution of racism. I don't hear that shit. Excuse my language. So, you know. This is a good, good time to point out that you're on my board. Uh, but uh, That's right. So don't come at me, Stacey. No, but uh, I'm going to ask you something that is I wouldn't ask of anybody else. But because we're good enough friends, I think I can articulate this in a way that I feel like we can have this conversation, especially given what I know about your background. I'm worried about the white savior complex here. Uh, mm. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, and you know, I don't use the word white like in an immutable way very often because my mom is white. You know, I'm I'm a right. complicated character. I'm half Indian, I'm half white. We talk about this all the time. Uh, and so I don't mean this like as like a blanket statement of all people, but I'm seeing all these people on Instagram and it, there just seems to be a huge overlap between the Burning Man crowd <laughs> and yes. the people at these, some of the people at these protests. And I'm worried that there's like now this like, I've got to figure, I've gotten, I've gone from zero understanding of what's going on to now complete confidence that I I know exactly what my place is. And if you're not 100% with me on whatever the new thing is that I came up with, then, you know, screw you. Like yes. and this is what you and 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 Julie are facing on the school side all the time. Julie Jackson, we're talking about great school leader in New York City, is that your way of running schools is under attack uh, often by people who are not from your community. That I agree with. I do think there's some confusion around the solution, you know, because the solution, like people come in and they're like, 
oh, they always I always hear it like, you know, I came here to learn from the kids. I'm like, no, you came here to teach children. Like, don't get that twisted, you know? Like, can you learn <laughs> something from a child? I can learn. I've learned something from my five-month-old son every day. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I'm still here to teach him and guide him. You know what I mean? He's not going to make it without my guidance. Right. So like, let's not ever think that my five-month-old is going to teach me and direct me and guide me, right? I'm learning from him every day, but he right. needs my direction. Um, I see people who come in and want to be friends with kids. They're like, oh, I want to do the right. latest dance, you know, and that, that makes them feel good. Right, right. Um, and I do think with the protests, I think people are getting away from what a solution could be. I see, like, I see people fighting about, like, what people are posting on social media. And I'm like, you are losing. Like the black square. I, you know, I don't like to do the virtue signaling exercises. I actually posted it and then I, I actually have logged out of Instagram and my goal is to be out of Instagram other than logging in to promote stuff like this. I'm planning to be out of Instagram for the rest of the month. And my part of my reason was I thought about it carefully. I normally don't do like the, the virtue signaling stuff because I think it often is like scratching an itch mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to like actually doing anything. But the, I looked around and I was like, you know, this is an important moment like to just signal that you care. Uh, even if it really is the literal li least you can do. The uh, and so least. I posted it and then... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I posted it, right? And then immediately someone was in my inbox like, no, because if you post it, it means this right. and it means that. And I responded to them like, I'm trying to get food to 1,700 families on the south side of Chicago right now because there is a food shortage because grocery stores are burning down. Like, so I don't care. I'll post what I want to post. And I literally posted because I just thought it was dope. Like, as I went through and it was like, Instagram was like black. It was like, all, I was like, wow. I just wanted to like be a part of making that like a moment. But when the fights about it started happening, I'm like, so if you think that this is a solution, you are like... This is a nice solidarity thing. So I am I am with you right there. I think that people have lost sight of guidance of where the solutions fall. Where do we get that guidance from? Because I think, you know, I think about my family in Gandhi. It was one leader that everybody looked to in the country. And it was it was so serious that, you know, in my country, uh, you know, my country is America, but my fam my dad's country, you know, we talk about looting here. Forget about it. Like Hindus and Muslims were murdering each other in, in the thousands during partition and Gandhi had to go on a hunger strike to stop it, right? Mm -hmm. And so like even that peaceful movement that a lot of people I think misunderstand, like, you know, I think a lot of people say, oh, well, Gandhi, I'm okay this. Like, you know, Gandhi coincided with a lot of other stuff that he had to get a handle on too. Uh, but the difference then was that he went on a hunger strike and everybody stopped. Like literally the whole country stopped. And then you had, you know, leaders like MLK and Malcolm X, like these singular figures during the 60s who, who, you, who could negotiate a solution, could speak to the masses, and generally people would be on board with them. We don't seem to have that anymore. And I think some of that's good because it's like democratized. You don't have these flawed leaders necessarily who, uh, and I'm not saying any of those people were particularly flawed, but like, like there's a risk always that you get the wrong charismatic leader who takes things in the wrong direction. But I do worry that sometimes that the lack of a leader prevents us from negotiating the right solution or giving direction to a lot of young people entering the space. What do you think about that? I definitely agree. You know, my mom lived through Jim Crow. She's a Spelman graduate. She protested um, with Martin Luther King. And I think that What's also missing is that there were large groups of people that organized and planned and strategized together 
to create a platform for those leaders. And that they actually weren't singular, they were representative of a very well-planned and very well-thought-out group. And I, I think that there are platforms where people have plans, but I think that communication and execution is key. And I don't think that that's happening. Like, like when I heard the critique of the squares, the first thing I thought was, well, then you didn't communicate effectively. Right? If you think that this has been misconstrued and you don't know where the misconstrue happened, well, then you didn't plan well enough on what it was supposed to be if everyone got confused. You know what I'm saying? Like, but people don't self reflect. They're like, you all are doing it right. Take the hashtag off. Da -da -da. Well, you didn't communicate effectively. If everybody got it messed up, <laughs> then, and that's why I was like, it's, it's almost, it would be. <laughs> It would be a good comedy sketch if it wasn't so if serious. If it weren't, right. You know, I had a friend of mine, uh, if I had a friend of mine who, who sent me a message, was like, look, I could, somebody sent me a message saying, how come you haven't posted your square yet? Then I posted the square. And then somebody said, well, you know, don't you think like when people say this isn't helpful, you, why are you then putting it up if it isn't helpful? And she's like, well, some people are telling me it's helpful and some people aren't. And this is why I think like, these are, these are small problems ultimately, but I think uh, this gets back to like, what should we do? Like, I think like, obviously what we should not do is really spend too much time litigating like the ins and outs of, of, of social, social media. media. Yeah. What, what, what's the real solution here? Like, you know, back to your six month dream, like what should people be doing? People don't want to hear it, but take Trump out of office, vote, vote down the yes. entire ballot. Yes. Okay. Make sure that you understand yes. the issues. Make sure you understand that it's not just Trump. We have to get rid of Mitch O'Connell. Like, there's a lot that has to happen, right? And know what's going on in your community and and vote. I think like next six months, right? Like Did you see Obama's uh you see Obama's statement on this? Yeah. Um what he said about the protest? You know, he basically was saying what you're saying, which is look, like I'm old. Don't you don't have to listen to me. Like you're gonna come up with new shit. But like like, please, like all the things you're saying, like most of them can be solved by putting better people in office. So please vote. You know, like take these people out. Know people's voting records. Take these people out. People who have, who have like, like, you know, like I'm looking at Amy, what's her face? Klobuchar. Like Klobuchar. Klobuchar. Yeah. You know, I always mess up people's names. Um, <laughs> Pete, you know. I, no, no, I wasn't meant to correct you. I was just saying. Yeah. I like, you know, I call Pete, Pete Bugatti to this very day. Um, it's better. I think Pete would like the name Pete Bugatti <laughs> at this point. I think it would, I like Pete. I think it could help solve some of it. <laughs> he could make him a little bit less stodgy, I right? think. Like, I think if he, uh, you know, he got a lot of heat for his statement, I really? saw. Because it looked very stodgy. Uh, I think if he was more Pete Bugatti and less Pete <laughs> Buttigieg, maybe he, uh, he'd, maybe have he'd have a little bit of help. He'd, he'd, but you know, like, she <laughs> kept that guy. Amy kept that guy after, like, repeated issues, you know? And right, right. I think we had to hold people accountable. Like, I really like the way Charlemagne was holding Biden accountable on The Breakfast Club. And, you know. Can we, can Biden hold himself accountable, please? <laughs> right. Because Biden, Biden is Biden. the next six yes. months. <laughs> Biden is Biden. Please. We still have to get him, right? Like, we, like, and people have to not get upset and not vote, right? And don't write in, like, your friend's name. Like, that's not effective. Getting rid of Trump is effective. Um, is Biden... The, is he the great guy? Absolutely not, right? And we know that, and it's a lesser of the two. He's got some horrible things, you know, in terms of like crime bills. That's one of the things that Charlemagne was like, you know, pointing out. 
But is he better than Trump? Yes. You know, like who who would I rather have? Like, do I think Biden's going to put Latino children in cages at the border? No, I don't think he's going to do that, you know? And we have to stop that right now. So it's like, it's right. it's it's prioritizing. But I thought that he brought up really... Who do you think should be the VIP, by the ah. Who do you think should be the vice president? Ah, that is a tough question. I'll be honest. I don't know. Um, you know, they're, they're saying they want it to be an African-American woman. And I am very fearful that he may not win with that. Now, does that mean that he shouldn't do it? But like, I don't know. The, the, the answer to that is I don't know. I don't know that it should be a Kamala. I don't know that it should be a Stacey Abrams. I don't know that it should be a Keisha Lance Bottoms. I, I just, I don't know. Right. Um, is she getting a lot of buzz right now? I certainly have loved the stuff. She, I mean, she's she's looked incredible. Keisha Lance Bottoms like, throughout this process. I don't know a lot about her yet. Um, I don't. I don't know a lot about her before, but she's she know. she absolutely has. She's just like anybody. She's also received criticisms. Like people are mad that she had Ti standing right. next to her. They're like Ti, like boo, you know. Um, so I this. What's the thing with Ti? Uh, I, I haven't been following. I know you're like my resident expert <laughs> on all things pop culture. You know, but uh, what's the Ti? I think it, it can go either way. I think that you can look at him as an outstanding, like you know, advocate, or you can look at him as you know, complicit. Like people are mad at him because he said he was checking his daughter's hymen to see if she was still a virgin. You know, so people there are people who because of that oh. I know very like who there there are people who because of that that's like a Trump don't thing. want that sounds like something Trump <laughs> right and and he, yeah. he didn't mean it in that way. He didn't realize, like, he went on Jada Pinkett's, like, red table talk to like, have a whole discussion. You know, Jada really got him an order. I will have to hand it to her. You know, she Did he get it at the end? Not sure. Mm-hmm. But that incident in and of itself made people like he's not the one, you know? Like, for instance, like, people have heard of Claudette with uh, the sit-ins, right? And there was someone else other than Rosa Parks that they, the NAACP, had primed and groomed to be the individual, to be the face of the bus protest. But she had a child by a married man and they decided that she couldn't be the face because of that complicit, you know, background. So they picked Rosa Parks, right? Now, there's gonna be people Mm -hmm. that are like, shame on that, like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, but there's also optics and it does matter, you know? And so there's reality and then there's like, altruism and then there's like trying to find the the balance and so i think people just felt like he was the wrong person to stand at her shoulder but on the flip side he yeah he's been a, he's he's been a good advocate like he has you know stepped up for things and then you know he's learning you know like no one's perfect like i, I hopefully he learned from that that like you know you, you might not want to take your daughter to the doctor to have her hymen checked her 19 year old daughter to see if she's a virgin like that was just very it's horrible. But I do think none of that would keep Keisha from being a good candidate, though. Yeah. Well, speaking of going to the doctor, you know, you've recently navigated our healthcare system uh, in a particularly, you know, uh, high stakes way in, in having a child. And you and I, you know, in our weekly talks, like often talk about those challenges. And, you know, I don't know how much you 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 want to say, but I would say that of all the conversations I've had over the past few years that have helped me even get a glimmer of understanding of racism in this country. I think about those conversations more than any. If you're comfortable talking about it at all, can you help our audience understand what it's like being a black woman navigating our healthcare system in America right now, including like a, a more successful 
like, you know, you know, you are a, a, a successful person who's on the higher income, good insurance end of the scale. So like you should be getting the best healthcare of anybody in this country. I think that when you look at statistics, they're scary. And the statistics for African-American women in the United States who died during childbirth, regardless of income, regardless of educational attainment, it's worse than third world countries. And in knowing that, I thank the Lord I had the resources to call people and say, like, because I needed a doctor that was going to see me, you know, and treat me the way that I deserve to be treated, the way any person deserves to be treated. Um, and so there's, when you see those numbers and they're that large, those numbers are real, you know? Those numbers reflect experiences. Those numbers reflect the way that you're greeted in the, you know, reception office. Those numbers reflect like what happens when you say this hurts and someone's ignoring you and you're like, I said it hurts. Like in my process, I literally had to say at one point in time, like I, this is the third time I've said it hurts. Black women hurt too. You have one more time. Like I had to say that at, at, at one point in time. And I had to just go and search. I had to call multiple different people to say, can you recommend, you know, a doctor to me that's going to understand all those things. And then me having to let doctors know that I understand all those things. And my, my lawyer's on speed dial, like, and you like, and you will get sued. Everyone doesn't have those resources. Everyone doesn't, you know, and like, you know, and then also feeling like, am I being irrational? You know, like, am I acting like a fool in doctor's office right now? Like all of that is disturbing. But when you know the numbers, you know that you have to take care of yourself or you'll become one. Because like I said, it, it, there's, there's regardless of income, regardless of educational attainment. And I found some really great doctors. And then, cause a lot of times in these practices, you go in a rotation, right? Like gone are the days where you have that one doctor that you go to, you know? So instead they make a point for you to see multiple doctors cause they don't know who's going to deliver you. Right. And so the doctor who I, I picked was African American woman was outstanding. Um, the majority of the people in her office were great, but there were a couple of people that I, I had to, you know, I had to just be very aggressive with and very candid and very honest and like that shouldn't be considered aggressive but when you're a black woman and you're candid and you're honest people take that as aggression and i'm like and i'm here for it like i'll, I'll be i will be that if it has to do with defending my health my rights and my options and it just made me feel very concerned for the women who don't have those options you know and I had grew up with a friend who's an OBGYN who went into public health. And before I picked a new doctor, I went to one of her clinics. I'd never been to a clinic in life. And the way that I was treated in the clinic, and I told her, I was like, no one deserves to be treated the way I was treated coming to see you. Like, I, you know, I haven't found a new doctor yet, so I'm just going to keep coming to you wherever you are. You know, eventually I went back to a private practice, but that was my first time ever in a clinic. And no one should be humiliated and like, degraded trying to get basic decent health care and so those are those are my experiences you know it's just you have to have the defenses to detect racism and you have to have the resources to combat it and i i am very concerned for my sisters who don't have those things and so you know as we we kind of round out this conversation and you think about so we talked about the six months uh from now 
period of time. And I think, you know, what I heard you say is, you know, you point to a bunch of structural reforms that are possible, but also, you know, very important on the timeline is defeating Trump and, and other of, you know, uh, of his minions up and down the ballot. Mm-hmm. You know, and also like electing better Democrats too. Yes, you know, yes. About that. And demanding that Democrats actually listen and serve. That's some of what Jerome Maine was getting to. He was like, we, black people handed you the primary. You were delivered by people of color. Now, what are you going to do for those votes? Yeah. And so, but what about long-term? You know, what are, what are your hopes? Like to the extent that you have any optimism about <laughs> this country that we live in, you know, you have a newborn Mm-hmm. You know, when your child turns 18, what do you want the world to look like? And and what 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 achievable world would you like to see by the time your son is 18? By the time he's 18, I mean, for me, it goes back to Martin Luther King's dream. I want him to be judged by the content of his character and not the color of his skin. Because um, he didn't say I didn't want him to be judged. He said, I want him to be judged by these measures, right? That goes to the high standard, by the content of his character, not the color of his skin. And I want to see the um, the vestiges of white supremacy dismantled. And I want to see a change in the values of individuals in America because it's individuals that make up these institutions. And I want to see that systems have been put in place to dismantle that oppression. And so uh, for folks who are looking for good ways to get involved right now in ways that help both in the in the short term and the long term, are there any organizations out there that you see and you're like, hey, like that's that's an organization that gets it? Hmm, that's a, Arena Summit. Um, that's an organization that gets it. <laughs> yeah, Arena, besides Arena, obviously. Oh. Uh, no, uh, you could even talk about in the education space. Like I think like mm-hmm. I think we're all like trained to not talk about the schools that you run and everything like that because it's like, politically controversial but whatever like you know what like it could be i think what julia's doing yeah, it could be I like mean, anything uncommon yeah. um i think that noble like constance is leading noble in a really great way there's greg white that's leading and noble, noble and, and you're talking about noble schools mm-hmm. in chicago yep yeah. greg white's leading schools where he is focusing on equity as well um learn regeneration schools we are but i think that they're all over the place, right? I actually think that there's lots of good people in the world. And I think that you can look at the staff. Like when I hear about an organization, I go on their website, I pull up about us and I look at the staff and I look at the representation. And I think when you find diverse representation, you'll find people who are ready to listen and who value, their values show in their actions. And I think that people, Whatever it is, it could be education, it could be health. Like what I like about my doctor's office is I saw black women who were doctors in the office, right? As opposed to, are you a part of a practice where there's not a single person of color? You know, my pediatrician, there is an Indian woman, there's a black woman, there is an Asian man, you know? Like look for diversity as a testimony to values and action and then create those organizations, diversify those places where people sit on boards, right? Look around at the board and say, like, we have to diversify this. And so shop with people who value, you know, diversity. Like when I saw a list of people, like companies that are supporting Trump and I saw Waffle House and I'm like, what? You know, like support, <laughs> you know, I had to not eat at Waffle House. Gross. But, I mean, that stuff is disgusting. You know, but I'm sure once upon a time. <laughs> Waffle House is <laughs> that stuff will sit with you for days after you Thank eat it. Thank you. So that's a good enough reason, if any, if any uh, to not eat But that. I think create the organizations. And any organization that you're currently in, you know, bring the values 
to the table so that because I don't think there's any one group that's just like doing it well. Every group, it consists of the individuals that are in it and be the individual pushing the conversations. Push your Thanksgiving dinner, you know, push your Christmas dinner with your family. You know, I don't want you to fight over every holiday, but you know, like when you hear things that go against the values that you know are needed for a better America, like what are you doing about it? I think if everyone works hard at where they are, we'll find more of these groups everywhere. And uh, what do you want to see from me and what do you want to see from Marina? What can we do in the months and years ahead? In the months and years ahead, I want to see Arena have more of our Lauren Underwoods, you know, elected. I want to see, you know, Arena um, bringing in more people from like more Andrew Yang, like, like people from all different perspectives, right? And helping get push those people, helping them find the resources and pushing them through and 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 becoming more known and becoming the premier organization to you know almost like the kingmaker you know so that people understand mm -hmm. that like here's a power you know of people who can train you people who can help develop you and just getting genuine and authentic people with good values helping to place them um into office and then maybe arena then turns into like helping train people for boards and helping train people, you mm -hmm. know, so maybe it goes not even just politics because there's lots of arenas, you know, so maybe it's like how to, how to mm -hmm. become like taking at someone who's a teacher or a principal and helping them become a CEO of their own organization. And so it could, it could, it could branch out. Totally. Well, Stacy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>